Hello my friends, it is Sarah from Weird Horizon where we explore topics on the spooky, the esoteric, the countercultural and the just plain weird. Thank you for joining me once more. In this episode we are going to be concluding our exploration of cyberculture and the philosophies and ideas that align the structure of the internet with the structure of the brain. So up until now we've been exploring the ways that the internet can be viewed as alive or how it is similar to other living structures, but today we're going to be asking a two-part question. One, is the internet in fact way less human than we would like to believe? Or two, is the state of the modern internet indicative of the fact that it was at one point alive but is now dead, or maybe that we have in some way killed it or hastened its demise. So once again we take some ideas from Out of Control by Kevin Kelly which is a work which I referenced in previous parts but our primary focus today will be on a thread archived by Illuminati Pirates but credited to Imageboard 4chan's Paranormal Board. Uh, It is a theory that we will refer to as dead internet theory. So we will touch on ideas spoken of in previous episodes. At least the beginning of this discussion would be a better experience if you have listened to those previous parts, but the portion on dead internet theory should stand pretty much on its own. So if you're here just for that, don't worry, just hang on. Um, Having said that, if it does interest you in any way and spark some sort of strange existential dread I would recommend checking out the previous instalments in the series because they touch on similar topics. But for now, the finale of Cyberculture. Let's get into it. So as mentioned, before we go full speed into Depression Town, we are going to explore a few more of the ideas that we have touched on. So if we find it hard to be persuaded by the idea that the internet is a brain, or brain-like in its entirety... So it has a similar level of complexity and shares many surface level similarities with the brain. Could it be that the internet is alive in a different way than we might think? So maybe it is closer to other biological systems than it is to the human individual. So could the internet be alive as a kind of super organism? So coming back again to the Lauren Carpenter Pong demonstration, which is referenced in Out of Control, this social experiment seemed to bring order from chaos. So I know we're repeating ourselves a little bit here, but the experiment went as follows. So an auditorium full of people were told nothing but were handed paddles. And the paddles were red on one side, green on the other. And by showing one side, a green or a red dot would appear on a grid on the screen. But slowly, the corresponding dots on the screen fell into a pattern as each individual kind of inferred the rules of this world by looking around them. No communication was needed and after a few minutes of confusion, everyone was in alignment. Then the grid on the screen was replaced by a simple version of Pong. So where each side of the room controlled their corresponding paddle, it now shifted to controlling the up and down of the paddle. So the left side of the room, by group consensus, were in charge of the up and down of the paddle. Certain number of green dots would bring the paddle up or down, certain number of red dots would counteract it. And without any centralised control, the group managed to come to agreement very quickly. 
So what was predicted to be an outcome from this would be pure chaos, with egos warring against egos, with the struggle to come to a group decision that would mean some people have to relegate their control. But what actually happened was a faster and faster game of Pong, faster than could have been achieved even via centralised management. Because there was no true way for any individual to have the full sense of everyone else's move and therefore make theirs. But a move was come to very quickly via virtue of them all being hooked up together. So the question is, could it be then that the technology of today, even in very primitive paddle-like form, it seems like this instant feedback had the ability to bring about stasis within the group and could facilitate the formation of a seeming human superorganism. So I'll explain briefly what a superorganism is. So a superorganism, a group of synergetically interacting organisms of the same species. So beehives are a superorganism, for example. A beehive satisfies what we would consider the characteristics of an entity, a oneness. It is made up of individual bees, individual agents, but they work as a group, as a whole, and come to decisions as a group and as a whole. Decisions that would be impossible to be made by the individual. Colonies of ants can also be described as this, a collection of agents which can act in concert to produce phenomena governed by the collective. So that is the description of what a superorganism is. So do we see this kind of behaviour in this Pong experiment? Can we see this kind of behaviour on the internet? I would argue, yes. What's more, the qualities of the superorganism can get even closer to what we understand of the internet as a group of synergetically interacting organisms of the same species. Superorganisms tend to exhibit persistent disequilibrium and emergent behaviours. So for a variety of reasons, this idea of persistent disequilibrium and emergent behaviours seems to reflect the same kind of qualities we would expect from a biological superorganism simply translated online. These are things we have spoken about in previous parts. Are we a superorganism simply when we are hooked up in this way? So Kelly in Out of Control seems to think so. And so research in the development of the internet and its role in our lives should, he argues, mirror advances in our understanding of superorganisms. As we've already talked about with transhumanism, some believe that the wired digital future is in fact the natural future for us, even if it is currently in opposition with much of what we view of as human. There is something dehumanising about viewing the internet as a superorganism. It kind of deprioritises the individual in this case. And these are some of the arguments we're hearing about the internet, that the sort of individual, the chance to be an individual on the internet is being eroded. But still there is this kernel of the utopian idea that maybe we will reach our true potential when wired up in this way. So from out of control for the last time, like how bees en masse form a superorganism, what is contained in a human 
will not emerge until we are all interconnected by wires and politics. So humans, even groups of humans, as they stand, are not superorganism. But maybe, he argues, through the emergent qualities of the internet, its ability to foster consensus, its resilience to attack, its scalability and persistent equilibrium, all of these things we associate with a superorganism, maybe through this technology we can become a human superorganism and become something new, achieve a kind of digital oneness. As mentioned, there is overlap between this idea of a technologically enabled superorganism and the boundless opportunities of the digital human, the post-human of transhumanism. The exact form of this structure changes, but from the advent of the internet, there has always been the idea that the net will be transformative in some way, purely due to the fact that it is a web of connected human brains, albeit, of course, with some intermediaries. That maybe, there is a question, it has the ability it has the capacity to form a new kind of life. So was the internet ever alive in any way we could define? And if so, did we kill it? Or are we becoming more machine and machines more human in a process of co-evolution? So most of our discussion today will focus on the humanless internet and it may be being a culmination of a process, potentially a natural process, uh, but maybe it not being as grim as it sounds on the surface. So before we dive into that, I just want to briefly touch on James Lovelock's Gaia theory and the idea of the two-way relationship between biological and machine, that it is natural for machines to become more biological and bodies to become more like machines. As we've spoken of, humans redefining boundaries is perfectly natural. GMOs and selective breeding of livestock are human products in the same way that planes are human products. Redefining the limits of our human bodies similarly by using tools is an unconscious process vital to the evolution of our species. And that many of these advances are made possible by machines simply underlines this relationship. James Lovelock writes of this embrace. The evolution of a species is inseparable from the evolution of its environment. The two processes are tightly coupled as a single, indivisible process. That was a quote from Out of Control, I just completely lied to you. <laughs> and it is hard for anyone to argue that the internet does not form a part of our environment. For the most part, the internet is indivisible from daily modern life. But Lovelock's theories are not solely concerned with our relationship with technology, but with our relationship with the entirety of the natural world, with the digital world being an extension of it. So again, from out of control. Life in coevolution, which has the remarkable knack of generating stable instability, move the chemical circuitry of the Earth's atmosphere into what Lovelock calls a persistent state of disequilibrium. This is Lovelock's theory that the human species may have in a way 
terraformed the earth to make it viable for us to live here, changing our environment even as we adapt to it, that the physical environment shapes its creatures and the creatures shape their environment. And if considered in the long view, the environment is the organism and the organism is the environment. But this relationship of co-evolution and the emergent consensus of superorganisms all share that paradoxical quality of working best when they remain poised in an Escher-like state of forever descending without ever being lowered. They remain poised in the act of collapsing. So thank you very much again from Out of Control for this explanation of Lovelock's theories and how they relate to what we are talking about. And you can see why I've picked up on this, this idea of remaining poised in the act of collapsing and the sort of degradation that many view in terms of our modern internet is what we're going to be talking about now. This idea that the internet is collapsing. Because for many there is the accepted view that the internet is at the very least stagnating. One argument for this is that the forms of the internet, at least the dominant ones, have been more or less stable for a while. So the dominant sites that most people use, with the exception of a few outliers, have been dominant for a while. And this may be for several reasons. It may be because people's needs from the internet have stabilised, or that we are used to a certain kind of content and then the internet serves up this kind of content to us. But one thing is for sure is there is not the huge churn of new sites replacing new sites like there was in the 90s. In the 90s, sites were popping up, becoming hugely popular for a time and then fading completely from view into obscurity. But the internet as we know it today is fairly stable and has been fairly stable for a while, but slowly losing complexity. Like I said, the big players have been big players for a while and more on the outskirts sort of drop away until we're left with fewer and fewer sites taking up more and more of people's attention. What's more, through decades of research into how we use the internet, we know a few things that have stemmed from our use of the internet that have directly influenced the form it has taken into the future. So it seems to be shaping us as we shape it. According to research from the Nielsen Group, probably the largest consumer research and consumer experience researchers in the world, ever since the earliest days of the internet, people in general only read about 20% of a given page of text. So there is a small minority of people who read word for word, but in general, most people are only reading about 20% of any page that they are consuming. In general, people skim. So this is natural and linked into the hierarchical nature of how we view the world and the data and systems within it. These are paths we've already tread. We make sense of the world around us in this way, by picking out the most useful information first and giving weight to its associations with other content. And a modern page or article of content is optimised for this fact. Modern websites and web standards are optimised for this fact. And within the agreed-upon layout, 
agreed upon formatting and a loose idea of a sort of length that we expect as well, meaning that the user can look at any article in general, no matter what source, and pick out the most useful information quickly and predictably. At least that is what most of the commercial internet is geared towards. We have already spoken about how these qualities of the more mature internet contrast with the qualities of the early internet and reflect the same patterns of maturation as we see with the human brain. But put simply, initially the internet was not so much designed for the end user as it was for the creator. Early internet was hobbyist. A lot of sites were made with no express purpose or defined audience in mind. But as times have changed, web standards have gained widespread adoption. Our content is geared more and more to this fact that 80% of it will likely never be properly read. 80% of it being mostly filler, just hot air. As times change even further, arguably a huge amount of the internet is designed now not to be read at all, or read in a completely different way. So as video forms gain a bigger and bigger share of our attention and are so prioritised, the way in which we read information from this is even more selective than it is from written words. Because one of the biggest changes in form and function of the internet that we have witnessed through our little journey through internet theories is the fact that the internet of today has the user as the product. Most of what we do on the internet now is entangled with and in the service of advertising, user profiling and advertising products to us. The natural culmination of this is bots, empty user accounts, automated agents, some designed to impersonate people, some not, all set loose on the internet to test and perfect its most lucrative purpose to match users with their ideal advertisers. It is estimated today that 50 to 60% of the internet's activity is conducted by bots. A fair few of them are completely necessary items. The web crawlers that index the web are bots, and without this vital work, all the issues we've spoken about would only be compounded. A number of them are services carried out to keep the web safe and efficient, a job simply too large and distributed for human hands. But on estimate, around 24% of all the web's traffic comes from impersonator accounts, empty users, non-genuine accounts, some benign, some malicious, but most autonomous, and some leveraging the most advanced forms of AI that we know about in order to impersonate humans. And from this paranoia fuel comes dead internet theory. So the archived thread by Illuminati Pirates but credited to a group of anons on 4chan's X-Board and Wizard-Chan, is titled as such, Dead Internet Theory, Most of the Internet is Fake. 
So I will read a small excerpt from the very long thread. It is from 4chan, so I'm going to have to change some of the language around where necessary to make it more suitable for this talk here, but I won't change the main message of the thread, of course. So this is a conspiracy theory. Large proportions of the supposedly human-produced content on the internet are actually generated by artificial intelligence networks in conjunction with paid secret media influencers in order to manufacture consumers for an increasing range of newly normalized cultural products. So that is a little bit of word soup, but what they say is mostly built on intuition and personal anecdotes. And also on the fact that many of the users on this thread claim to have been on the net for a very long time long enough to have seen the evolution of the internet in the ways we have been talking about. So I'll continue from the thread. The internet feels empty and devoid of people. It is also devoid of content. Compared to the internet of, say, 2007 and beyond, the internet of today is entirely sterile. There was nowhere to go and nothing to do, see, read or experience anymore. It's all imploded into a handful of sites and these empty husks we inhabit. Yes, the internet may seem gigantic, but it's like a hot air balloon with nothing inside. So I will summarise a few more of the main points from the thread, and I will have the thread linked in my show notes if you want to read it, because it gives some fascinating and some very specific examples. But for now, we will stick to the basics. One... The internet is largely artificial. The scale of the internet is exaggerated. Much of what we view as chock full of content is actually vacant. This hot air we're maybe not supposed to be paying attention to. And much is driven by, marketed to, or created entirely by bots. Two, identities emerge and vanish in ways we don't view as possible. Close friends will vanish from the web often enough and to enough people that there is a doubt that these people existed at all in the first place. This all underlines the idea that there may be fewer real people on the internet than may be obvious to even those interacting with them. 3. The internet is repetitive and recycles its content in a loop. The same news stories again and again, the same threads again and again with the same replies... More than that algorithms and people have honed in on the content that gets an engagement, but the same words, the same responses, even the same response gifts. And four, this one I find less intuitively persuasive, as the rest I feel are built on themes we've already spoken about. This is the most out there part of the theory to me. The idea that all mass-marketed content is made by AI. Now, to start the shallow end with this theory, let's start by saying that questions around whether when you're on the internet you're talking to a real person are gaining more traction. So there is already a huge debate around the authenticity of our social personas, the inescapable trend and encouragement to post a curated version of one's own life that more and more deviates from what we view as truthful. So the big sites, a fair few of which, of course, are social media sites, become hubs for content as well as profiles. And each platform is 
geared towards a certain kind of content, with this content, of course, being picked up by the algorithm and being the most widely shared. But they're also geared towards a certain kind of profile for the same reason. And everyone cannot naturally be the kind of person that their chosen platform prioritises. But they can, by a slow and largely unconscious process, become more like them. More and more of what we'd view as sharing our lives has deviated from the purely objective form we would like to believe it is to something more editorialised, something more like a documentary than we would like to think. We are putting forward a specific kind of message, but often this message is not our own. We are not strictly speaking the director in this analogy. Slowly the content we see starts to blur into one, and the gulf between what we see as our real life and the quote-unquote real lives of others online grows. We feel more and more like we must be the only person feeling this way, that everyone else is having the time of their lives. But setting aside the huge question of whether you are having an authentic human interaction on the web, whether it is even possible to have an authentic human interaction on the web, how can you be sure that you are having a human interaction at all? So there is the theory that not only is the internet dead, i.e. we have passed the point at which more content and users on the web are non-human than human, Dead internet theory goes as far as to put a time of death for the internet. According to proponents of this theory, the internet died in around 2016 or 2017, and it's assumed that what many feared had taken place, the Great Inversion. So the Great Inversion is the theoretical point at which bot traffic outnumbers human traffic on the internet and the algorithms designed to analyse and serve up content begin to analyse the majority bot content, begin serving up and potentially designing content for the bots. It would be the point at which the internet truly becomes, for the machines and algorithms, in a self-perpetuating cycle impossible to come back from. The internet would be dead, And this presumably happened around the year 2016 and 2017. Of course, an attempt to prove if this has happened would be difficult for many reasons. It is impossible to know the extent of the bot problem, as they are intentionally designed to be indistinguishable from people to the software that they cater to in many cases. So we would find it difficult to calculate their numbers in an automated fashion. A person can generally distinguish a bot from another human user, but any one individual does not have the whole picture. Part of the motivation for sharing dead internet theory by those who believe in it is to reach other humans, with the hope that at least by being aware of it, by reaching other humans with this information, we can break the isolating trends that we are seeing. Many of the points raised by the theory are to do with spotting this bot behaviour in familiar settings. Many sharing the theory talk of bots specific to their favoured board on 4chan, some evolving to the point that they become very sophisticated but still distinguishable by a keen eye by their specific 
pattern of speech or the specific cadence. The theory does not in general assume a person is incapable of telling a bot from another person, more that the systems of the modern internet aren't capable of doing this. The attempt with dead internet theory is to unite the humans that remain on the internet and try to break these cycles that isolate us from each other. So maybe by just being more aware of how we portray ourselves and trying to get closer to something we view as human, trying to wrestle some control back from the algorithms that seem to be dogmatically choosing what content people create because it's the only content that will reach others. That's the real goal of dead internet theory. There are no quick fixes to this, but the hope is, again, coming back to the same theory we keep coming back to, the hope is by connecting people again, we can create something more. So one such attempt to stem this bot tide in an automated fashion was the 2014 YouTube bot purge a huge effort on YouTube's part to diminish what was starting to become a real problem, i.e. bot accounts on the platform. So there's not a whole lot of surviving information on this, as, of course, bots may have been a bit of a scourge for a while. Advertisers were becoming increasingly aware that some of the large audiences on these user-created hubs were made up of a not insignificant amount of bots. I say were, this is obviously still the case. And of course bots can do many things, but bots cannot spend money, as far as I'm aware. But from a contemporary article aiming to reassure creators, your subscriber counts may go down, YouTube set to purge suspended accounts. The purge of course predominantly affected creators, undoubtedly forcing more humans off of the platform in an ironic and obviously unwanted twist. This is a statement from YouTube on the bot purge. On June 16th, we're going to remove suspended accounts from all channels' subscriber accounts. This means some of you will notice a minor drop in your subscribers. To be clear, these are not active viewers, so you shouldn't see any impact on your views or watch time. So Daryl Eves did a great video on it from the time about all the smaller creators and the panic they saw in the sudden drop in subscribers, just subscriber counts dropping overnight. As mentioned, despite reassurances, many saw a huge drop, seemingly enough in some cases to bump creators from their partner programs. This automated process was to help subscriber accounts accurately reflect who was actually engaging with the content, so that advertisers could have as full a picture as possible. So one of the reasons this was suspected as happening was the fact that Google at the time was charging advertisers for content served up to bots. So this is termed invalid traffic and the bot purges and associated cleanups seem to be creating alarm, not because it obscured all the real people on the nets, but because Obscuring people is obscuring the primary focus of these sites to target us for advertising. So thus this fed into the biggest fear that the algorithms, the sort of black boxes mentioned earlier, that are largely in charge of the form of the internet and its content takes in the 2020s, 
there was the fear that these algorithms would begin to target the bot majority instead of the human, so the great inversion we were talking about. You may also be aware of the data recently released by Twitter. So a summary from the podcast, Things I Learned Last Night. Twitter announced last year that they estimate that 4% of all active users on the site are bots. The number sounds insignificant until you learn that 95% of all tweets come from just 10% of active accounts last year. Could that 4% be included within that 10%? I.e. there is a real doubt, we just don't know, about how much of the traffic of Twitter, specifically, is made up by real people. We do know that a huge range of platforms are similarly bogged down by inactive or at the very least barely active users or straight up fake users. And if most of the users on the platform are contributing barely anything to the platform, no wonder it all seems like empty space with just a few people talking back and forth. So it seems clear that the idea that much of the internet is artificial is true in a way. Far from the simple web of interconnected human minds, there is no doubt a lot of filler, a lot of automated processes, and a fair chunk of fraudulent behaviour on the nets, largely under the guise, of course, of making money. A large chunk is probably artificial, i.e. bots made to mimic humans for a range of purposes. But how persuasive is the idea that people vanish on the internet because they are fake? As discussed, this facet of the theory is slightly incongruent with the rest of the theory, as it is pointed out again and again that even the most sophisticated and cutting-edge of AI bots are still spottable by the keen eye. So are we simply dealing with a much more sophisticated form of AI than we thought, yet one that still hasn't figured out how to disappear without arousing suspicion. For most, we don't see technology as at the point of having created true AI. And intelligence of that kind would have to make us rethink how we define what is conscious and face the difficult question of whether this AI has a personhood Dead internet theory does not grapple with the idea that the artificial on the internet may be alive in a different way to us. I think more likely the idea of people disappearing on the internet is linked to the theory that humans, in effect, walled off on the nets, that our abilities to connect with each other are being slowly eroded, and human interactions are being slowly deprioritized in service of automated ones. So this is the most persuasive argument to me, as I feel it builds directly from what we have been talking about. In the smoothing and refinement of the modern internet, which seems to be lacking more and more the authenticity and rough edges of the early web, building off of this slow process of homogenization, we have all noticed when it comes to content and interactions that People seem to be funneled towards one kind of content, one sort of user experience, and anything else is lost to the fringes, and everything becomes similar, and then you are lost in the crowd. The internet has no doubt become repetitious. The same news stories 
gain traction, the same outraged responses. But if we set aside the idea that stories are repetitious because they are artificially created, and once again come back to what we learned about the progression of the internet, that there has been a process of simplification at work for a while. A natural process, maybe, one by which we have left the period of boundless expansion and strengthened pre-established connections just as a maturing brain does, or as any maturing network does. As we've explored in previous instalments, there are all manner of ways in which we can view the net as just a network and examine it as a network. And this seeming loop, this repetitive nature, may be the one aspect that makes us cling on to the hope that there is still some humanity on the web or something that is alive. Humans love patterns. Humans love to get what they expect. They love to be outraged in a controlled way. If there is one thing you can point at in this and say is definitely human, for me, I say it is this. But there is one thing we need to talk about. The web as we know it is undoubtedly hollow. If in using the internet, it seems like there is way less stuff to find than you would think, or even way less stuff than there used to be, with its billions of pages but seemingly nothing outside of a dozen big sites, then we have to talk about the deep web. Now I know this is going to be old news to some of you, but you stick through it. (laughs) The web as a whole is made up of the surface web, the web we're familiar with, the sites that have been indexed by search engines and linked into this huge network of information for our retrieval. These are our Google results, for example. These are the sites we navigate to on a daily basis. Then there is the deep web, which is simply the unindexed web, mostly full of orphan sites, abandoned sites, sites that have lost their link to the network as a whole, sites that never intended to be linked to the rest, so just processes, an extension of the Internet of Things, just these sort of connections that are happening but have no need to be accessed by a human. Of course, there is still a small number of illegal sites that, for obvious reasons, cannot be indexed in plain sight. But the fact is, the deep web makes up an estimated, always going to be an estimate, 96% of the entire web structure. The surface web is presumably, and again, as an estimate, around 4%. It's hard to know exactly what these figures are because it is hard to know what you don't know. But from these estimates, and by the methods currently available to us to guess, it's clear that most of us have access to only a very small fraction of the internet. And the proportion of unindexed web is also growing, which I find very interesting. In 1998, an estimated 28% of the internet was indexed via search engines. But as we said, this has been trending down steadily ever since, down to just the 4% that we estimate of today. So we are seeing more and more orphaned content. We are seeing more abandoned sites, old personal projects, lost in a sea of obscurity. And this is at least part due to the fact that as more and more traffic is pulled to the big sites, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, example, TikTok, etc., It is, at least human traffic is, a finite resource. 
if people are going to Twitter, they may have previously gone somewhere else. And that somewhere else, if this is to continue, slowly fades into obscurity as fewer and fewer people use it. So this trend may be related to more and more people leaving smaller human-created web communities for bigger ones, so slowly pushing niche internet cultures into obscurity. So there is not currently the same kind of web community as there was in the 90s. Communities have become more niche, yet they've become less distributed. So message boards have been swept up into the big sites, fandoms into their own circles on these sites. And there is a related term we will need to talk about, of course, link rots. So link rot describes the kind of web trend towards entropy, towards disorder. It is the trend by which hyperlinks tend over time to become broken. If you wait long enough, every link on the internet will be broken. These links in one way become severed and are never fixed. So sites move, sites become deprecated, bugs are introduced and never fixed. Link rock clashes with our ideas about the internet being a preservation tool. The old idea that nothing on the internet is ever really forgotten. A 2003 study estimated the half-life of a hyperlink on the web to be around 138 weeks, and we can only assume that it has become shorter and shorter. So far, very, very far from forever. The web, over time, like everything, trends towards dissolution and chaos. Maybe, as we've mentioned, this is natural, Maybe we are simply perched on the edge of destruction, as any system does, working at their best on the edge of collapse. But let's end it all on a prediction for the future from our friend and futurologist Ray Kurzweil. So what will the year 2029 have in store for us? Automated agents are now learning on their own. Significant knowledge is being created by machines with little or no human intervention. The majority of human communication does not involve a human being. The majority of communication involving a human is between a human and a machine. So is this natural, inevitable? Is this already the case even? Will we really know until we're there in the thick of it? Who knows? (laughs) One thing's for sure is is our relationship with technology and the internet will probably be completely different in 10 years than it is today. Will we be exploring it as a tool for connecting humans, drawing from us the emergent traits that come from hooking us up together as a technologically enabled superorganism? Or will we be looking for ways to bring some humanity back to the web? sort of wrestle control back from the algorithms that were initially designed to help us. Whether you think it will help our species into a new stage in our evolution, or isolate us and divide us, there is a lot to think about and there is evidence both ways. But on that sort of mixed message, (laughs) um, thank you for joining me on this meander through some of the interesting theories around humanity and technology and how they interact. How the internet changes how we view networks, ourselves and each other, and how we may redefine what we view as intelligent, what we view as alive, 
in the realm of humanity as technology continues to surpass the limits we set for it. Will we see in our lifetimes the first truly digitised, complete human brain? Or will our attempts go the other way, attempting to strip all that is human from our technology to make way for an artificial intelligence with the potential to outpace us and do all that we do but better? One thing's for sure is that the internet is one of the marvels of human culture and science, has hastened our ushering in at the digital age, and continues to challenge and alarm us. It's no wonder that futurologists and 90s cyberculture philosophers had big dreams and ambitions for it. Most of us cannot imagine a world without the internet. Many of us would not have a job without the internet, or wouldn't have the connection with the world they do now. But like any tool, it has the capacity to harm us. For this reason, and its particular ability to meld with the human brain, the internet will continue to be studied alongside our evolving culture in co-evolution. Because one thing I hope is clear, as much as we shape the internet, it shapes us. But for now, this is where we will leave the topic. I'm sure I'll be back in this neck of the woods one day soon. In the interim, though, come and hang out with me in the quasi-social space that is Twitter as Weird Horizon and Instagram as Weird Horizon Podcast, where we will attempt to preserve our sense of our authentic selves. So if there's anything in particular you'd love for me to do a deep dive on, please let me know. I have no intention of stopping this, so I will keep going forever. But for today, bye.